I was a mom. You could see my children, but I was a mother. And I desperately wanted that external validation, not for me or not for my kids, but just to be able to have a place for my love to go, Earth side. Hey everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Entering Motherhood, a podcast dedicated specifically to new moms going through this amazing journey in life. I'm your host, Sarah Bilger, a postpartum nutritional coach slash mechanical engineer. And as always, I'm so excited to be here with you and share all the information I've been lucky enough to obtain since becoming a mom. In this episode, we talk with Lindsay Blair about her journey of infertility and how she is now advocating and helping those who are dealing with similar situations that she went through as she was entering motherhood. Hey mamas, how are you? Today we are talking with Lindsay, who is currently a mother of two visible children. However, she has experienced nine pregnancy losses along her journey of becoming a mother. And early on, she had experienced multiple miscarriages and ended up needing IVF later on to have her twins. We not only discuss Lindsay's personal journey, but we also dive into how we can help others who are struggling with infertility. She explains how it can be really overwhelming to not even know what we want or need in these moments, but if we're given options, it's sometimes to make those decisions. So an example of that would be, you know, trying to ask a mom if she would like to have takeout or a home cooked meal for dinner and then just bringing it over to them. So we really kind of go over different things like that and also how silence can be really helpful in these moments. And we don't have to fill every second with noise. And sometimes all we need is someone just to sit there with us and really just validate the loss that we've experienced. And she mentioned how it's important to remind ourselves that we are courageous, resilient, and strong. Because of Lindsay's past experience, she has been able to bring services to moms to help support them if they are going through similar situations. And she is certified as a birth and bereavement doula and a fertility coach as well. You are gonna love this episode. So pop in those headphones, turn up the volume, and let's get this episode started. Hello, and welcome to Entering Motherhood. I'm excited to have you here today and really get this conversation started. So how about you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Love talking about motherhood and everything that encompasses this journey, even the hard part. So, just a little bit about me. I have I'm a fairly new mom. I have two babies. They are 19 months old. They are twins that were born after a 7-year journey of infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss. So, it took us quite a while to to really enter into this visible motherhood season. And when I'm not chasing my toddlers around, I work as a birth and bereavement doula and a fertility coach, supporting other women with stories like mine. Awesome. I like how you used the word visible motherhood. 
And I think that's something that a lot of us don't obviously see in other people's journeys sometimes when they have experienced loss. And we might know that they have been trying or, you know, they're thinking about it and stuff like that. But most of the time, we're not sharing those stories of loss. So with your experiences of entering motherhood, what can you kind of say to that? Did you share your losses early on? And and what was going on on your seven-year long journey of being able to have babies that were here physically. Yeah. yeah. My my earth side babies were born in 2020, but my motherhood journey really began in 2014. We, my husband and I were newly married. We've been married about six months and we got pregnant for the first time a little bit unexpectedly. So that's kind of a part of our story too, was an unplanned pregnancy. But we found out we were pregnant. We were shocked. It was, we were young, we were still in college, so we were really not, not on that path of thinking about parenthood anytime soon. We had like a three to five year plan at that point, um, as we all do. We all try to plan our lives. Rarely does it go the way that we planned. But anyway, that was my plan. And we found out we were pregnant unexpectedly and we were shocked at first, but we really got excited about that. And we were just really elated about the life that I was carrying. I could just feel the changes in my body. We were, you know, we bought a baby book and we were learning about what every single day as there, our baby was growing. And we were completely taken aback when our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage at almost nine weeks along. We were totally not prepared for that. And we didn't tell, hadn't announced the pregnancy at that point. We did family and friends know, but no one else really did. So no one really knew that we were pregnant except for our family and our close friends. And we didn't really announce, even at that point, to the world that we had experienced a miscarriage. We just had our internal support team, and our doctor even told us that this was probably just a fluke and that we were young, we were healthy, we had no reason to believe that our next pregnancy wouldn't be just fine. And so that experience of of motherhood and being pregnant really unlocked a desire in me and in my husband and I. And so although we originally had this three to five year plan, after that first experience with pregnancy and loss, we really wanted to try to get pregnant again as soon as we could. We really were, I think, craving that that visible parenthood experience just to, to have that validity. We felt like we were parents. I felt like I was a mother but no one could see my child. And we did get pregnant six months after that. And unfortunately, our second pregnancy ended almost the exact same way at almost the exact same point in pregnancy in a second miscarriage. And at that point, while one miscarriage is fairly common, it's about 25% of, of women will experience a miscarriage. To have two in a row is less common, and that's about one in 100. So that is a, a unique form of infertility called recurrent pregnancy loss. So at that point, we began seeing a specialist. So you were still in college then at that point? We had graduated right after our first miscarriage. Okay. And what was that like, I guess, being termed like a recurrent 
pregnancy loss individual? Like what was kind of going through your mind and how were you feeling at that point? It just, honestly, it just felt like it wasn't reality. There's, there's a grief that comes with any type of loss. If you lose a baby, there's, there's a real grief that comes with that, but there's also an, a grief that comes with any type of infertility diagnosis of just realizing now that that innocence has been taken away in a, in a, in a sense that you can't, you know, I, I had seen a positive pregnancy test twice at this point. And then now that excitement of seeing a positive pregnancy test and preparing for a baby in nine months had been stolen and was replaced now with fear and dread and anxiety that I don't think most people experience if you haven't gone through a loss or if you haven't gone through a form of infertility. So what were the next steps that you were taking then after that point in proceeding to try again? Yeah, we, you know, obviously we could get, we could get pregnant fairly, fairly easily, but what we didn't know was why we were experiencing losses. And so that was kind of a first step with the specialists that we were working with. They did all types of testing on, you know, from blood work to examining my uterine anatomy, fallopian tubes, just making sure that there was nothing that, like there wasn't any scar tissue or there wasn't any kind of difference in the way my uterus was shaped that could cause unexplained losses. We looked at blood work, hormone levels, my husband's sperm count and all of that kind of stuff. And all of our testing came back completely normal, which was, which was really frustrating. But we later learned that that is the case with around 50% of people who experience recurrent pregnancy losses. There is not a cause that they can find. So the theory was that we would just continue to try and a lot of my cycles would be monitored. And so we would just have, you know, the doctor's eyes on everything that was happening and watching my hormone levels closely and being able to offer support if anything was even a little bit off. And so we did that for several more years and we went on to experience, I think at that point, we had a, we definitely had a third miscarriage and then a fourth miscarriage. And then our fifth pregnancy was ectopic, which means that the baby implanted in my fallopian tube instead of my uterus. And that, that pregnancy ended in emergency surgery where I also lost one of my fallopian tubes. So at that point, getting pregnant naturally wasn't quite as simple as it had been when I had, when I only had one tube. That we did, we sought second opinions, third opinions, and frustratingly, we still we never found any type of cause for why we were continuing to experience early pregnancy loss. So, what was that emergency surgery like with the ectopic pregnancy? It it was again like just kind of a whirlwind. We that pregnancy was actually looking really promising in the beginning. We were monitoring my pregnancy levels, our hormone levels, everything was kind of looking good. And it came time for that first early ultrasound and they did the ultrasound and they couldn't find the baby. There was nothing in my uterus at all. And with the hormone levels and everything else increasing, they knew at that point that it was ectopic, but we never did um, actually, actually find that. So they did see that there was some bleeding. I was already having some bleeding. And so at that point, they recommended surgery too, because an ectopic pregnancy can be life threatening. Because if your tube ruptures, then you could have lots of internal bleeding and it becomes a medical emergency. So, yeah, that just all felt like a huge whirlwind of 
being excited to, you know, maybe this is the one, maybe this pregnancy will, will be different. And it was different, but in a very unexpected way. And so that was a grief too, just of knowing, you know, not knowing how that would impact my natural fertility and knowing that I was also losing a fallopian tube on top of a child. Yeah. So you said, you know, obviously that's impacting your fertility. So what were the next steps after then in your journey? Yeah. So we, while it it can impact your natural fertility, there's, our doctor was pretty optimistic that we still had really good odds at getting pregnant on our own. We still had no answers at this point, but we did continue to try and it took us longer to get pregnant again a sixth time than it had in the past, but we did conceive even with, with only one tube and Oddly enough, I ovulated on the side that was missing a tube. And so, fun fact, your if you only have one tube, your tube can swing over to the other side and catch an egg that op- that ovulates on the opposite side, which is wild to me. Our bodies are fascinating. But anyway, that's how I conceived a sixth time was it was we were on our own. We did have some fertility medications that we were taking just to kind of increase our chances. And unfortunately, that pregnancy also ended in a miscarriage. And so this, at this point we had had six pregnancies and six losses and so, and no answers. And so at this point, our doctor didn't know, still we had no answers of what was going on, but he had a a suspicion that maybe something chromosomally with the way that my egg and my husband's sperm were coming together, where we were maybe creating more abnormal embryos than the average person of our age. And the only way of really verifying that was to try IVF with genetic testing. And so that's that's what we did next. And that was a huge a huge point of grief and acceptance also of just realizing like here I am in my early 20s and I have this unique form of infertility and I'm doing IVF, which is something that I always thought people only did if they were trying to conceive and just weren't able to conceive on their own. And I'd been pregnant six times. And yet here I am doing IVF. So we did it and we had a great response and it was a little bit frustrating and surprising, but most of our embryos were perfectly normal. And so that also didn't give us the answers that we were looking for, but we did feel optimistic doing our first frozen embryo transfer with an embryo that we knew for sure was healthy. And so we did that in March of 2017. And it was just a, another deeper level of heartbreak when that pregnancy also ended in a miscarriage. And we knew for sure that it was it was a perfectly healthy, genetically normal baby girl. And so that was the first time that we ever knew like any specifics of the gender or of the sex of our babies. And so that was that was a really, a really tough, tough loss as well. So at this point, how were you with sharing your story? Were you telling friends and family still every time you had a positive pregnancy test? You know, what was that looking like? Yeah, it was, it, it did evolve over time after, I think it was around our fifth loss, actually, our first um, ectopic pregnancy. We did experience a second ectopic pregnancy with our eighth pregnancy. But anyway, um, with our first ectopic pregnancy, we decided, I think I started a blog at that point. And I had, I had written blogs before about various things, but this was something that I felt, I didn't know anyone else who had experienced 
any type of infertility, really. My mom had a little bit of trouble conceiving me. It took her three years. And so I kind of always had that in the back of my mind that maybe I would have some trouble. But when we got pregnant so quickly and unexpectedly, that, you know, was just a different paradigm. And I didn't know anyone who had experienced one loss, let alone, you know, five, six, seven, nine is what we experienced in total. And so I started writing about that and just sharing my story in the hopes that it would help someone else to just feel a little bit less alone. And so at that point, we were pretty public about about our experiences. We weren't sharing publicly like every time we found out we were pregnant because we just wanted to protect, you know, some of that. And, and people were very well-meaning, but a lot of people, even our family and close friends would say things like if we did share that we were pregnant, oh, that's so exciting. I just know this time will be different. And unfortunately, nobody knows that, you know, like there's just no no way of knowing that this time will be different. And I know that they say that with the intent to try to encourage someone and to make them feel better. But the reality is that pregnancy after infertility and pregnancy after loss is, is really, really hard. And we, I needed to really have some safeguards up to protect my heart from some of those types of things. But anytime we experienced a loss, we were pretty public about that part of it just to help bring more awareness to it because it is something that is is relatively common for people to experience, but it's not really something that I ever saw talked about at the time that I was going through it. So what are some things, you know, you, you said it was all well-meaning and, and things like that. Like what are ways that we can be there for mothers who are maybe currently experiencing loss or have experienced loss or are just, you know, starting out on this journey. And I think sometimes we say those things because we don't know anything else to say. We think, you know, this is what we're supposed to say in these situations, or this is what they would like to hear. But in a lot of the cases, that's not what is best for that mom or necessarily, you know, like you say, you were putting up these guards and and really protecting yourself from these conversations and stuff. Like, What can we say to these mothers or what are some useful ways if we are going through loss ourselves to redirect the conversation to be more beneficial for us in that moment? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a really a great question and it's definitely hard for someone to answer when they're in the middle of it. I remember when I was going through it, somebody would ask me, oh, what do you need? And like, I truly had no idea, you know, even that question just felt really overwhelming. I was like, I, I don't know, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know. And so I think one thing that was really helpful was when friends or family would say, I'm going to bring you dinner tonight. Do you want fried chicken or do you want salad or do you want steak? You know, here's three choices. I'm going to do this thing. Which one do you want? Was a lot easier than saying like, what do you need right now? Do you need dinner? Do you need this? Do you need me to go get groceries? Like all of that just felt really overwhelming. And so having a short list of, of, of ways to feel supported was really helpful. Or I'm going to drop off. I'm going to Costco. Send me some things that you need. And if you don't text me back, I'm just going to bring some paper towels and toilet paper and, you know, some like staple things. So that was really helpful. And I think one thing too, our culture is just really un- uncomfortable with silence. We want to, I think a lot of that wanting to say something when someone's going through a hard time is just the way that we are ingrained in our society. We don't like silence. We're always feeling 
the silence with some sort of some sort of noise. It's uncomfortable. And the good news is if you love someone who's going through an experience like this is you can take the pressure off of yourself because there's nothing you can say that's going to make it better. There's absolutely nothing you can say that's going to take their pain away or make them feel better about the loss or the experience that they've had. So we can sometimes, I think, put some pressure on ourselves to say the right thing and to have the perfect encouragement to say to make them feel better. But the reality is it's not going to. So taking that pressure off can feel really nice. And just being willing to share space with someone who is grieving, who's going through a hard time or a difficult motherhood journey is invaluable. So just being willing to sit and say, hey, I am so sorry. I'm here to listen if you want to talk about it. If you want to cry, I'll sit here and hold you. If you want me to bring over a bottle of wine or some chocolate, happy to do that. But like not feeling the need to put a silver lining on their experience. Because sometimes, as I mentioned, that can be well-intended, but the impact often just makes the person experiencing it feel more alone and feel even less understood if, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. Oh, really? So there's a reason that my baby died? Okay. Like, that doesn't feel very good to hear that. Even if that's what they really believe, it doesn't feel good to hear someone say that. And so just validating the loss and their motherhood experience, that they are a mom and remembering even, you know, on Mother's Day to reach out to them on important dates like due dates if you happen to know when they would have been due if you happen to remember when you know the day or the month that they lost their baby like checking in on them because it's a grief that usually doesn't go away with time it gets it transforms with time but it will always be there and it will always be a part of their story so anything like that can be just a really helpful way to love a mother who has experienced loss What do you think was something that personally helped you to continue on your journey? I mean, you shared you've had nine losses. Like, What really motivated you to want to keep going? Yeah, that, it definitely changed, you know, with time. But I think just the driving force was ever since our first pregnancy. Like, I just, I knew I was a mom. Like, I was a mom. You couldn't see my children, but I was a mother. And I desperately wanted that external validation, not for me or not for my kids, but just to be able to have a place for my love to go earthside and to have that that motherhood experience that is seen and is visible to the world. And we were pretty open-handed about it. We didn't really care. I mean, of course, there there would have been, you know, a grief that we experienced if we had never had biological children, but we were not at all married to that. You know, like we were completely open to whatever way we would have children on this on this side of eternity. But um, pregnancy was always something that I wanted to experience. And so we we just thought we would continue going down that road until we both felt peace that this was not this was not the path for us. And so we did, we did take a break after our eighth loss. We had pretty much been going nonstop back to back for the first really five years of our journey. And after our eighth loss, which was our second ectopic pregnancy, I'd lost my second fallopian tube. And so trying naturally was completely off the table at that point. I could only get pregnant via IVF. 
And after everything we had been through, I just felt like my heart, my body, my mind, my soul just really needed a break. And so we didn't even put a time frame on that. We just said, let's pause. Let's focus on our marriage because this whole journey had consumed the first, also the first five years of our marriage. We were newlyweds when we got pregnant for the first time and experienced our first loss. So we just spent, you know, we, like I said, we didn't put a timetable on it. We just took a break and it ended up being almost two years of really just intentionally dating each other, having fun, traveling and allowing ourselves to really rest and heal because that was time we hadn't taken before. And then towards the end of the almost two year break, we really felt peace about trying again to do a third embryo transfer. We had had, as I mentioned earlier, our first one ended in a miscarriage. Our second frozen embryo transfer was like a Hail Mary protocol. We tried like crazy, crazy stuff that was recommended by specialists in three different states. And we had like a very unique protocol on that one. We didn't even get pregnant after that transfer. So our third embryo transfer we did in February of 2020. And that ended up being our successful, our successful pregnancy that gave us our third side twins, Eleanor and Shepard. And we still don't know why, why it worked. You know, we did a pretty identical protocol to our first embryo transfer, but somehow against all odds, it, it did. What was that feeling like when you had surpassed the point in your pregnancy that you had never reached before with your previous pregnancies? It was, it was not the relief that I was expecting. So all of my losses were first trimester. And I think going into it, I was like, if I can just make it through this first 13 weeks, like, then I can breathe. You know, I felt like I'd been holding my breath for 13 weeks. And nothing magical happened at 13 weeks. Like I still felt very crippled and paralyzed by fear and anxiety. And I didn't expect that. I kind of thought that once we kind of passed that, that danger zone, but you know, I think I had seen enough of life and I had experienced the worst case scenario enough times in my own life that that feeling of waiting on the other shoe to drop just didn't, it didn't go away throughout the whole pregnancy. So even you know, we delivered them. They were born at 37 weeks exactly. So they were full term, perfectly healthy. But even like through that experience, it was just this, this reality and this fear of like something could happen, you know, like something could go wrong. Like things go wrong every day in perfectly healthy pregnancies and loss happens, you know, and SIDS happens, you know, like, and so the anxiety didn't even really go away from me after they were born. It is something that that kind of stuck around and that's something that I've had to really, really work through. And it's something that I help my clients work through because a lot of people think, you know, if you love someone who's gone through a loss, you think, oh, well, if they can make it past where the last point that they lost their baby, then they're going to be okay. And they're not going to have this fear, or this anxiety. And we also think that when we've been the one to experience a loss, but it doesn't always work that way. So what are some things that help you with those thoughts or those feelings? Yeah, I think having support is the biggest thing. So having, whether that is a fertility coach or a doula like me, whether that is a therapist, especially if you have anxiety that's pretty debilitating, there are mental health professionals who are trained and experienced to really support someone through that. And then also just doing your own research a little bit and like talking with others who maybe have gone through it, being a part of a support group. And learning some practical ways to manage manage those feelings because it really does feel a little like holding your breath for nine months. And that's 
you know, we have to breathe. <laughs> like we have to, we have to do that. And so breathing is even a great way of doing that. So there's lots of breathing exercises that can be really helpful. Taking just intentional deep breaths can help kind of short circuit that fear and anxiety response that happens in our brains. And it can help us to, to really feel a little more grounded and regulated. Another thing that I like to do is like shake it out. So I'm a believer that trauma lives in our bodies and there's a lot of value to like if I wake up feeling really dysregulated or feeling really anxious, just standing up for five minutes and literally just like shaking my body, jumping, you know, moving around, dancing it out, like just kind of letting my body release some of that tension and some of that trauma. And that can be especially if you have tried the breathing and the breathing isn't working and it's not helping and you're still feeling like your anxiety is getting worse, just pausing and doing doing some intentional movement. And if you can go outside and do it barefooted, even better, you know, just anything that really helps you to feel connected to the planet, to the earth. You can see, you know, the trees, you can see the sky, you can feel the wind on your face and feel the sun on your skin. All of that can be really, really helpful if you're you're feeling a little bit hijacked by anxiety. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I love how you said kind of like shaking it out. And as you were doing that, like obviously people can't see, but I was kind of like shimmying my shoulders and like (laughs) moving my arms. I think it's something that at first might seem so silly. And obviously you don't have to do it in front of anybody or like make a scene about it. But I think it's so helpful to really just kind of jumpstart our body to get into some sort of movement because sometimes that's all we need to really just take that one little step. So I'm I'm a big believer on movement and really just kind of like moving our bodies more. Yeah, there's a therapist that I follow on Instagram and he he says this all the time. He says our issues live in our tissues. And that's so true. Like anything that we're feeling that, you know, depression or anxiety or frustration or really any unpleasant emotion, like we experience that in our body. And you may even feel if you're feeling anxious, like notice what your body is doing. Like, are your shoulders tensing up? Are you holding your breath? Are you clenching your fists? Are you shaking your ankle? Like sometimes that's our body's way of telling us, hey, like we need to, we need to shake this out. We need to move some of these issues out of our tissues. And so that's just a really practical and easy thing that, like you said, you might feel silly doing it, but who cares? You know, like if it's going to make you feel better and it's going to help you process some of, some of that, even on a subconscious level, like that's a victory and that's a win going to help you to get through your day just take the five minutes and do it in your bathroom even go in a stall somewhere if you're in public you know like you don't have to be visible but it can really be helpful and it might be better to feel a little silly too if you're laughing at yourself or just smiling and getting giddy I think it, it, it helps get those emotions really rolling so what would be something you know looking back on your own journey that would have been useful or helpful to know before getting to the point where you are now? Like, what would you like to tell your past self, so you will? I I go back and forth on if I would want to know at the time, like, what my journey would be. I think when I was going through it, I thought that would feel helpful. But looking back, I don't think 22-year-old Lindsay would have been able to handle it. You know, like this is going to take seven years and you're going to have nine pregnancy losses and you're going to finally have babies. I don't think that I would, in hindsight, I don't think I would tell myself all of the details. But I think just reminding myself that no matter what you're going through, like you can get through it. 
and it's not always going to feel as hard as it feels right now. And when we're going through something hard, we get a little bit of tunnel vision and that's all we see is the hard. But even looking back on those those 7 years, there was a lot of a lot of hard, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of grief, but there was joy there too. And there were pockets of that and pockets of hope and just you know, the person that I am today, I'm not thankful that I lost nine of my children. Not thankful for that. I will never think that that's the way that it's supposed to be. But I am thankful for the growth that I've had during that and for the person that I am today and the way that I can empathize with other people and create that safe space and all the things that I've learned about trauma and grief and healing. All of that stuff has been really invaluable to me. And so, again, not putting a silver lining on what happened to me and the journey that we experienced, but there is good in the midst of of the hard in a lot of in a lot of ways, even if it's growth, you know, personally and or professionally. And I think I'm a better parent today because of it too. You know, it, it gave me perspective that I would have never had, you know, out, outside of this. So, I think I would tell myself that I'm really courageous and resilient and strong and that it's going to be going to be okay, that I'm going to be okay. Obviously, your journey has impacted what you do now for mom. So can you, you've kind of touched on it briefly a little bit through the conversation, but can you really just tell us, you know, like, what are you doing now to help serve moms and what motivated you to come to this point? I think as I started sharing my story and blogging and things like that, I just noticed a lot of people, you know, even people that I knew that I didn't know they were also going through something similar, just flocked to me and would reach out and share their story and ask for support or, you know, any kind of insights if if I had any recommendations for resources, books, any of that stuff. And so I was really doing that organically. For a long time while I was still, I was working in the nonprofit sector with survivors of human trafficking. So my background, I have a lot of of background training and experience in trauma, most of it in the realm of sexual trauma. So this was a unique kind of shift for me when I started making some connections when I was going through my own experience. I was noticing that some of the symptoms that I was having and the way that I was responding to recurrent pregnancy loss and infertility was in a very real way, trauma response similar to what I was seeing in the women that I was working with who had been trafficked and exploited. And that was something I'd never thought about. And so then I became really, and I tried to even do a bunch of research on it, and there wasn't really a whole lot of research that had been done connecting those two things, the experience of pregnancy loss and infertility to trauma that hadn't really been talked about in that way. And so I knew, you know, eventually that's kind of where I saw my career path going. Not that I didn't love supporting survivors of sexual trauma, but I could just feel like a shift happening in my heart. And I knew that I wanted to be in a point where I was in a lot of ways had gone through a lot of healing for my own trauma and not still be in the middle of it while offering that type of support to other people because I wanted to make sure that I was healthy enough to be able to walk with someone who's experiencing loss, something that I could could be very triggered by. And so we waited again. We we took that two-year break. And then after our twins were born, I really just kind of felt like 
the stars were aligning, for lack of a better word, to really kind of push through and get my certifications to do what I really knew that I wanted to do, which was offer virtual and in-person support to other women who were going through these experiences. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic really opened a lot of doors for like virtual support. And, you know, even with telehealth and therapy access became virtual when it wasn't really like that before. And so it was really a good, a good time. And so I went and got certified as a birth and bereavement doula. And so I provide doula support to people in all gestations of pregnancy and can help with birth plans and of any gestation of pregnancy because miscarriage is birth. A lot of people don't really think of it that way, but the reality is that it's, it is birth in the first trimester and there's a postpartum period that women experience who experience loss, even very early loss. And so like that was something that I wasn't prepared for when I was going through my own experience. I was told that miscarriage was just a heavy period and it wasn't like I've had, I had twins that were delivered full term at 37 weeks and I've had early pregnancy losses and contractions are contractions and birth is birth. And I experienced that with, with each of my losses. And so that's something that I can help offer support to women who are going through a loss um, at any stage of pregnancy. If they have the opportunity to know that they're going to experience a loss before they do, that's not always the case. But sometimes like having that knowledge and having that person who can help them to write a birth plan can be really, really helpful. But then also like with happy births too. So I'm able to support women who are pregnant after loss or are pregnant after infertility. And they have a perfectly drama-free, healthy pregnancy, labor and delivery that ends in a, you know, with a, with a healthy mama and baby. And so that's something that I really enjoy doing as well. And then I have that certification. I'm also certified as a fertility coach. So it is a certified life coach and I choose to focus and specialize on like infertility and supporting women who are going through that experience as well. So no matter where someone is on their journey to motherhood, that is something that we all need extra support in. And so that's what I do. I offer that virtually one-on-one, um, thinking about launching groups. I haven't done that yet. I've only been doing this about a little over a year. And then I also have a podcast too where women can and their husbands and their partners, whoever can really come and and learn a little bit more about these experiences. And we talk about trauma and how it relates to infertility and loss. We talk about counseling. We talk about the male perspective. We talk about, um, you know, I interviewed a doctor a few weeks ago and he talked about the process of when you're seeing a specialist, what's that, what is that like? And so we just kind of, you know, touch on, on a lot of different aspects that are relevant to women who are going through these experiences. That's amazing. So where can we reach you and find you? What's the name of your podcast? Give us all the details. Yeah. So my my business is called Catalyst for Courage. And that is my website is catalystforcourage.com. My Instagram is at Catalyst for Courage. And that's also the name of my podcast. So I'm a big believer in let's keep it simple. Um, so if you, if you search that on pretty much any search engine, you will, you will find me and on the website, there's links to the podcast and I'm everywhere podcasts are. So most people listen, I feel like on Apple or Spotify, but anywhere people listen to podcasts, you should be able to find it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, you know, for really just sharing your story and insight on what a motherhood journey can look like when we're dealing with infertility and and getting to be 
in that space with you. I'm always happy to share it and normalize these experiences. It's just not talked about enough. And one in eight of us go through infertility and one in four of us experience loss. So it really does touch a lot of mothers. Well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate you like sharing everything that you have. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was fun. So thanks for inviting me. Well, this wraps up another episode of the Entering Motherhood podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review us wherever you are listening because that helps the show grow and expand so that other mamas can learn information on how to heal and navigate in motherhood. Thank you so much for listening. It means so much to me. And be sure to subscribe so that you can listen to the latest episodes of the Entering Motherhood podcast. See you later, mamas.